I got a gift a number of years ago from from somebody in St. John when I was living there, and my wife tells me the shirt was inappropriate for a pastor to wear at any time. But you got to know the lady that gave it to me was not a Christian, and uh, every time I seemed to walk by their family business, there was something going on that needed prayer or coverage or working out, and she just figured out that whenever something was going wrong, Dave would be walking by, and God, God had control. Now, her husband was a Christian, and they had, they had some tough times. One time was some court-appointed uh, counseling, at which they weren't doing the work, and I kicked them out of counseling. You know, so we had this long-term thing. By the way, they credit me for saving their marriage because I kicked them out of counseling. They weren't doing the work. And they said, but we have to have this counseling. So then, then do the work. And then they did the work. So anyway, but the shirt goes like this. This is the gift. It is a shirt that says, Jesus loves you on the front. You, you ever seen a shirt that says, Jesus loves you? It says this is scrunching down at the bottom. But I'm his favorite. <laughs> Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Have you ever met somebody that sort of gave you the gospel in such a way that you knew that Jesus loves you, but really, I'm his favorite? Have you ever met somebody that sort of treated you like that? They gave, gave you the gospel, but maybe not the whole thing. Maybe just part of it. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. That is the, the text is about that today. I'm excited. I want you to know I'm super excited. I get to give you a, a, a chunk of the gospel to chew on today. But on the way to chewing on that, I need, I need two things. I need somebody on this side of the room to, to raise their hand and say, I would read a short verse in the middle of the sermon. Is there anybody on this side of the room that would do that? I see heads going down, like, don't call on me. <laughs> Anyone? I'll give you the verse. It's not very long. Okay, Marie, I need Colossians 2.16. And just stick your finger in there until I call for it, okay? And if I forget about it, you'll, you'll have gotten off easy. On this side of the room, I need somebody to read. Yeah, I've got that side of the room. This side of the room, I need somebody else to read a short scripture. Anybody willing to do that? Okay. Galatians 3, 27, 28, and 29. Just stick your... I figured that. Just stick your finger in Galatians 3, 27, 28, and 29. When I call for it later, we'll be ready right? That's not where our main text is today, but these two texts have something significant to say and interpret for us as we go on. The text that I am reading today, literally somebody came up to me midweek and said, where are you going with that? There's really not that much there. And, and, and I want you to know that the gospel the, the good news, the text, it's, it's all usable, but sometimes it's not just where the text, what the text says, but where it's located and what's around it. And so I'm going to read you this text today, and then we're going to talk about why it's such a big deal. But here it is. This is Acts 9, 36 and beyond. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which means in Greek Dorcas, which also means gazelle. In both those languages. That's cool. She was always doing kind things for 
others and helping the poor. But this time, about this time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. I just want to stop for a second. Is there anything in the gospel tradition that you remember that has anything to do with an upstairs room or an upper room? It's where the, where the disciples were when the Spirit came down upon them and filled them. Pentecost, the birth of the church. They laid her in an upper room. I just, you know, when you hear echoes in the text, I want you to just take a moment and let the echo just resonate through you. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upper, upstairs room, but the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. Now, if, if we knew somebody was in, an upst- in a nearby town, we'd just get on the phone and call somebody and say, come on over, and they get in a car and come. But let's say for a second Joppa and Lida are nearby, like us and Chihuahua. They're, they're a little closer than that. They're 15, 16 miles. But you don't have cars, and you don't have phones, and you don't have horses. Come right away has a little different text context to it. So if, if we're walking to Chihuahua today, how long is that going to take? <laughs> Three to four hours, am I, am I right? I mean, unless you're, unless you're fast. Well, if you're me and I'm practicing my mosey, it's going to take longer than that because a mosey is sort of faster than a loiter, but not a bunch. <laughs> So anyway, they sin right away, and he comes right away. So you're talking probably the next day or later, like if it started in the morning, you could get there by evening. Please. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as they arrived, they took him to the upper room, and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and clothes the Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them, all to leave the room, and then he knelt and prayed, and turning to the body, said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and helped her up. She rose, was the language of the Greek. She rose. Do we know anybody that around the upper room thing that we know that we say, He rose? Anybody in our Christian tradition that rose from somewhere? Anyone? Anyone? Jesus rose. Okay, so, and then he presented them to the, her to the widows, and all the believers that he presented to the news spread through the town, and many believed for the Lord, and Peter stayed with Simon the Tanner for a number of days. Now, there's some neat things in this text. The, the female version of of disciple is used in this text. It's the only place in the New Testament that, that the feminine form of disciple is used in its regard to her. She was, she was important. Some of, the, some of the commentaries say she was a woman too important to lose. Too important to lose. Another thing is that upper room and she rose and Peter was taken to her language. But why is this a big deal to us? Well, because we do some things wrong in our world, and I'm picking on, the, picking on us for a second because we have an in-crowd. Even the Christian community has an in-crowd sometimes. Sometimes one church will say, well, we're the real believers and not those other people. Is that, is, 
Am I wrong when I indicate that that goes on? Okay, so what's the first group of people that Christian insiders sort of look down on in the whole world? Do you know, do you know what the Christian insiders d- decide first? Well, they're worse sinners than us. Don't they? Don't, oh, those are the real sinners. We're the saints. We're the saved ones. So the position of this text is really big. Just before this, this text happens, there's this guy named Saul in Jerusalem, and he gets essentially papers from the authorities that allow him to beat and kill and destroy churches wherever he goes, and he's headed to Damascus. And on the road, he meets the Lord. Stunning. Have you ever, yeah, I mean, a 180 is going on here. He's going to destroy Jesus, and he meets Jesus on the road, and he's struck blind, and, he's, and the text says he, he rises up and is led into Damascus. Well, in Damascus, there's believers there, and they know he's coming. He, he has met the Lord, but his reputation is intact. How many of you have come to Jesus and your old way of life still has a hold of you? Still has a hold of you. You still have the same patterns of living. You've met Jesus, but you haven't learned how to live with Jesus yet. And it takes time. It takes work. It takes all this language. We've been talking about it in church recently about don't self-betray that little niggling word in your heart when you say, I ought to do this, and then you don't do it. That's self-betrayal. I shouldn't do that, but then you do it. Self-betrayal. The Holy Spirit, once you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit uses that sort of action in your heart to get a hold of you. So, So now place yourself in Damascus, and you know the guy that's there to destroy everybody that thinks the way you think is in town, and you're Ananias. This is a guy named Ananias, and the Lord appears to him and says, I want you to go to Saul and, and introduce him to the rest of the believers. You know he's not a good dude, Jesus. You can almost hear Ananias say that. Really? This is not a good plan. This is a bad guy. He's a worse sinner than us. He's a murderer. He's a killer. But in Christ, he says, no, this is my chosen vessel. And when he comes and he prays over him and the Holy Spirit comes into Paul's, Saul's life, he, he's not quite Paul yet. I'm sorry for that confusion. He changes his name later on. But he's Saul, and, and Ananias introduces him into the community, and the whole community is, is, is raised up and taught and blessed, so much so that the people that thought Saul was a good guy before Damascus get mad and have a plot to kill him. Now, if you're Saul, this is a bad situation. Every, all your friends from the past are after you, and, all, and you've got a brand new set of people that they don't trust you. And yet... You've been raised from the dead. You rise up. You were taken into the community of Christ. The first barrier that the world breaks down or the world uses to keep people separate is this barrier. I'm better than them. 
I'm, a, I'm not as, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad a sinner as that person. And Christ breaks down that barrier. Now, just to make sure you know that I'm not just making this up, they scoot him out of Damascus and he comes to Jerusalem. And do you know what happens to Saul in Jerusalem? The believers want nothing to do with him. His reputation is still intact. Have you ever um, had a chance to witness or talk about Jesus to a family member and just struggled and been terrified and then not had it work very well? <laughs> Anyone? I'll just raise my hand. Okay, I've got a brother who used to say, I don't want to hear any more about this from you again, ever. <laughs> or when I talked to my own grandmother, I came out and my mom, who is really a rock of faith and an experience in my life, was waiting outside the door nervous because she couldn't witness to her mother. Do you know why that is? Your reputation and pattern of living is intact, and the people that know you well have seen it all. They know you warts and everything, and temper tantrums, and, and, and when, since you were two years old, you and mine, <laughs> and not sharing. But you've got Christ in your life, and you're new. Barnabas comes out of, of the believers, and he comes to Saul, and he takes him in, and, and it says he rises up and enters into the community. Do we know anybody that rose from the dead, that, that was given a new life, a change? Well, Jesus wasn't given a new life, but he rose, and then he did that so that we might have a new life. So here's the context. Is there anybody else? Okay, so now if, if we don't get to use, they're a worse sinner than us to keep us separate. By the way, the Christian community loves one statement that I would campaign to have removed forever. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Do you know why? It doesn't work. And it's not what Jesus did. He loved the sinner and forgave the sin. That's quite a bit different than hate the sin, isn't it? Now, you can make a case that God really hated the sin so bad that he got rid of it. He removed the barrier that it was. Now, there's other barriers in our community. We don't just look on people as worse sinners. Sometimes we say they're not as able. Have you ever seen anything like that? Well, he can work through this sort of person, but not that sort of person. That person has a disability or something like that. Any of you people with disabilities ever feel like you're less than? Well, good, but some do because people say it. But just before the text of... Dorcas comes this one. Are you ready? Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place and he came to visit believers in the town of Lydda and there was a man named Aeneas there who was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. I know people that are paralyzed and bedridden don't feel like they're able to do anything. I've talked to people that feel like I just can't do anything anymore. I, I used to be able to do all this stuff. Look, there's stuff you can do, but here's the important. You're not so, if you were disabled, you are not supposed to fall through the cracks. You are not supposed to. So Jesus, or Jesus through Peter, starts to remove a barrier in this thing where he brings Saul into the community, but then within the community, there's people that feel like they're less than. 
Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he, and he instantly arose and was blessed in the community. This is the language. And the whole population of Lydon and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. Now, not all healing is physical. Matter of fact, Jesus makes this point in the Gospels. He's in this room, and they dig a hole to get their friend in through the roof, and they lower him down, and and Jesus says to the man on the mat who can't walk, rise, your sins are forgiven, and you can hear the room. Blasphemy. He can't say, your sins are forgiven. That's wrong. Only God forgives sins. And Jesus responds, What's harder to say, rise and walk, your sins are forgiven, or get up, you're healed? Now, if I'm Jesus at this point, I'm seriously snarky. Because I'm saying, what's harder to say, this or that? Because you can't say either. You can't say to somebody, rise up and walk and make the healing stick, but Jesus can. So, but Jesus can forgive sins. So much so, he just did it. Then comes this other barrier. Do you know about 51% of the world have one designation that half of the world just gets held down because they have this one designation? Do you know what that designation is? Female. 51% of the world in our world history, our world is so upside down that we say, well, because you're a woman, you can't do that, or you have to do it under a man's authority and all that. Have any of you ever heard that? Let me just say straight up, I am so sorry. (laughs) My part of it. That's why this text is in this spot. God is removing barriers from the gospel. And the first one is, is you're a worse sinner. And the second one is, you're less able. And in this one... Well, if you were just a man, and that's what the Jews used to preach. The Jew, Pharisees of the Pharisees, that's Saul. Pharisee of the Pharisees used to start their prayer. Thank God that I wasn't born a woman. (laughs) It makes me want to throw up. Now Now I need my verse from this side of the room, Colossians. Can you read me Colossians 2.16, right? It was 2.16? Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Who's got this one over here? You do, right? Galatians 3. I'm coming. 27, 28, and 29. 27, 28, and 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. One, one more verse. Oh, Okay. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to the promise. One in Christ. There's none of these little divisions and barriers that our world uses to separate us anymore that, that, that 
Dorcas is too important to lose. Have you ever felt that you were, import- you were not important enough that nobody really noticed you? You are Jesus. Jesus loves you. You've heard that. And sometimes you heard it from people that said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Every ounce of love that Jesus pours out on you is meant for you. Now, it might also be meant for you to share and pour out on other people nearby because it's meant for them too, but it was always meant for you first. And, and, and so in the movie, The Shack, the God character says this. She goes, oh, can, when you see them, can you tell them that I'm especially fond of them? And then later on, she goes, and I'm especially fond of this person. And the, character, and the, and the dialogue that she gets, God gets asked, is there anybody you're not especially fond of? No. God is especially fond of you. Jesus loves you. You're his favorite. You're his favorite. Now, in case you might be thinking that I'm just making this whole story up, if you read after this text comes the Cornelius centurion moment where Peter, sitting in in Joppa, sitting there thinking, man, that was so great. I healed a dead person and all this stuff. And and, and by the way, there's this other person that was lame. I healed them. And I'm kind of hungry, but he falls into a trance. And God lays brings down all the animals of the earth and all this stuff. And what does he say? Peter, rise up, kill and eat. And Peter goes, because Peter's awesome like this, no way, I've never touched anything that's unclean. And God says, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. What I've forgiven, don't you call unforgiven on heaven, in heaven, as, on earth as it is in heaven. The way I've forgiven the sin, I've taken care of that. And so he does it three times because Peter's thick. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> Anybody need the lesson more than once? Peter too. It's awesome. He's a bit player in this And so, anyway, Cornelius has this vision from God. He's a Roman centurion. I mean, now, it would be okay to be an Israelite woman or an Israelite person that was lame or even an Israelite sinner, but look, we have laws against consorting with the pagans. And so he calls for Peter, and Peter's line, right? He comes and shares, and he does all this, and, and Cornelius believes, and the Holy Spirit falls on him, and he becomes one of them. And do you know what Peter actually says here? Now I get it. God is no player of favorites. The gospel is meant for everyone, and the barriers come down. So what are the big barriers in our life? I'm a, I'm, I'm a less sinner than that person. Or I'm more able or less able. Sometimes those barriers are in our life. Or you can't do that because you're not the right person. You're not a man. I am so sorry. God set that stuff aside at the cross. But he also set up aside the Jew or Greek or Jew or pagan designation that he has forgiven stuff. And if you would come and believe... That's the gospel. Not God, 
loves the sinners and hates the sin, but God loves the sinners and forgave the sin. And he did that so that any separation between you and him, anything that you might done that you think that'll ruin the relationship with Jesus, oh, I need an intermediary because I'm not quite right. All those little barriers have been taken away. That's Jesus. And the text, there's not much in this little text about Dorcas, is there? There's not much in there, but its position is everything. It's right there in the removal of barrier after barrier after barrier to the love our God has for his people. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for everyone in the room today. Thank you for the gospel that no longer separates. Move in our hearts that we would be your people, that we would rise up and be taken to you and the community would be blessed. In your precious name, amen.